Jesus understands our need for hope and our need for purpose. This is really important in the health space because I think that we are so confused by what our hope and our purpose is that we start to cling to it in things like health, things that we really don't have ultimate control over, things that are going to go away. Like We know it's a fact. 100% of people will die. And so clinging to something that in the end never ends the way that we want it to only makes this so much more difficult. It only creates more problems because your health then is always a problem. This is the Made for Living Well podcast, hosted by Alexa Sherm, the place to create a life well-lived. Welcome back to Made for Living Well. I'm so pumped you're here. Today, we're going to talk about the inspiration behind the Living Well And honestly, one of the reasons why I switched to Made for Living Well from the old platform, which maybe you might not even know existed, but it was called Simperitz Wellness. And that too uh, kind of had the idea that there was something more to health than just your body. Of course, your body matters, your health matters, but health is not the goal of life. Health is the tool to live your life and to live your purpose and your passion. And today we've got to talk about the purpose because if you don't have purpose and you don't have hope, You're kind of left floundering in a sea of worldly things that never truly satisfy the inner longing that we all have. Now, today we're talking strictly about soul care, about changing the story that you have and the narrative about your life and getting filled on living water. Now, I know you might not all hold the same beliefs that I do as we're coming from a very biblical perspective today, but I encourage you to stay tuned. Maybe this message will hit in a new way and shine a light on Jesus in the way that you've never heard before. Now, of course, you can always learn more at thelivingwell.com where I share more about the woman at the well. And actually, one of the most popular blog posts I've ever written is Four Lessons from the Woman at the Well that is over there, and I will make sure and link that up in today's show notes. And honestly, I love this passage so much, again, because I felt like it was the inspiration, it was the passion behind why I do what I do, behind the living well, to help us to see that health will never satisfy No matter if you're skinny or you hit your goals or you arrive at the destination you think will produce all the things that you long for, nothing of this world will satisfy what only Jesus can. And regardless of what you believe or not, we all have a longing, a hole deep in our soul that needs to be filled, that leaves us thirsty. And in that hole, we often fill it with worldly things that don't satisfy, that only lead to guilt and shame and all the feelings that we hate that we have to try to mask. But today I want to show you a different story to see that there is a way out of the sin you might be entangled with or the shame that you carry, and there's hope and there's light and there's purpose and there's passion on the other side. So today we're going to talk more about the woman at the well, and I'm changing the narrative because I grew up in what I called scary faith. And honestly, everything felt so doom and gloom, turn or burn. Like it was so negative in nature and legalistic, and I've had a hard time really grasp God's goodness. But once I started to read the Bible, not based on what I thought I had to do, but based on who God was, things really started to change. And I started to see that the Bible was not just like this roulette game where you could just flip to a verse and that was your word for the day. But you started to see the story and the message and the way God wrote the entire Bible 
not only to show his character, but to help show and shape our story. Because what we know in the mindset space and and the biology space, that the story you tell yourself is influencing your entire being. It's influencing everything that you do. It's your identity, right? It's how you live out. It's what you believe. It's the things that you engage with. And it's how you perceive the world and everything in it. Like, this is a really big deal because if our identity is shaped on things like guilt and shame, it completely changes who we are and the way we respond and how our biology functions and even whether we engage with our purpose or not. But when we can change the story because we recognize a true story, a God-sized story, it really can shape and change everything about us. So today is all about changing the story and using God's word and God's goodness to do that. And today I wanna show you how God does that over and over and over again. Outside of what we see other humans doing, I think it's recognizing that God does not respond in the same way that we've maybe heard from other humans or the way that other humans have treated us, but he does it with such love and such grace. And really, he meets us right where we are. So today we're gonna dive into the woman at the well again, which is found in John 4. Now, I love this message, partly because it has to do with the interaction between Jesus and a woman, which is not rare in the Bible. In fact, God throughout the entire story uses women in remarkable ways, and he makes it a point to showcase those stories, to showcase what they mean to him by how he interacts with them throughout the entire Bible. But when we look at the woman at the well, what I love so much about this story is I think it shows a little glimmer of maybe some things that we all deal with. Now, I know if you're a Christian or you've been, you know, in the space for a while, you've probably heard the woman at the well preached a number of times. And oftentimes, the woman at the well is preached from the lens of God was calling out her sin and getting her to lay down our sin so that she could turn and live a different way. And yes, in some regard, that's what he's doing. That's what God's always doing, is trying to get us to recognize our depravity and our sin, lay it down so that we can live differently. It's the purpose of the cross, right? But I think deeper than that, deeper than just calling out our sin, God wants to get to our shame because it's our sin that causes shame, but it's shame that perpetuates our sin, which means if we just lay down our sin, if we just repent of what we've done, which is, yes, we should do, I think it misses the heart and the root of what keeps us coming back to that sin, what keeps us repeating that sin. If we can admit our wrong, we can admit the things that we've done, but without dealing with the shame and the guilt and the deep, dark places of our soul that we try to hide and mask, like that's the place God wants to get to and heal because he knows if he can take away your shame, he can take away the sin. He didn't just die because of your wrongdoing. He died because he wanted to change the story to get you back to who he created you to be, which means he has to take away the shame. Now, I want to read John 4 because I think that as we go through this process, you're going to start to see that in a new way, that the purpose of the story is not just to say that this woman was walking in sin, but to see that her sin was actually existing because of a need that she had and that her need 
was being fulfilled in a way that was not actually satisfying her, but God wanted to give her her living water that would satisfy. And if we start thinking about it in that kind of way, that sin is not just rebellion, but some of it is actually based in a need, that we're looking to be satisfied in some area. And because we don't understand the living water that God offers, the satisfaction that only He can bring, we look for all of these external things that really never satisfy, that often just leave us more broken than before. But we go there because we think in this temporary sort of way, we're getting a little fix. But the ultimate fix And the ultimate healing comes from the filling of God and His living water. So let's dive into the story. I'm just going to read John 4 to kick this off. And we'll kind of break it down as we go. But it starts with Jesus leaving Judea and going back to Galilee. In verse 4, it says, Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus... Tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, And who it is that you ask you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Now, I want to stop there before we get in any further. There's a few big points that I want to draw out from this that shows Jesus' goodness. One is, Jesus knew very well that he was going to meet the Samaritan woman. He knows all. He knew this story and he took time out of his day, out of his travels to stop and converse with this woman. And it is not a little conversation. It's quite a long conversation. In fact, she had a full theological conversation with Jesus that many other people never got to have. But he stopped on his journey and he let the disciples go off on their own to find food with the purpose of meeting with her, knowing that she needed help, that she was living out of an old story, a bad story. Now, one of the things that I love from the text that I've easily skipped over so many times was that Jesus came to the woman and he came to the well in full humanity. And yes, Jesus is God. He was all knowing. He was perfect. But he was also fully human. And I think in this text, it also shows that he too had needs. He had needs like he was tired from the journey. He needed to sit down. He wanted a drink of water, right? But more importantly, he wanted to sit with this woman and get to know her so that she could know him. And I think that is so fascinating that right off the bat, we see Jesus' humanity and we see how we too can come to other people and humanity. So Jesus sat there as the woman came out at noon. Now, this is also another critical point in the story because it showcases, because culturally at the time when women drew water, it was most often in the morning, not the heat of the day. And it was a very communal thing. The women went to the well together. They drew water together in the morning hours or the evening hours when it wasn't the heat of the day. So 
knowing that it was noon when this woman came out, showcases that she probably wasn't a part of the community. She maybe was disgraced or one of the quote unquote least of these. And yet that's exactly when Jesus wanted to meet her in her weakness, in her shame, in her, you know, sorrows that she was living in. And the first encounter Jesus has with her, being the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God who knows all, she, he asked her a question. He asked, will you give me a drink? And he just sets the stage, not with a demand, but with a question, opening up her to give a response. It wasn't just him talking to her. It was him trying to engage with her. And this was so rare. Now, one of the things that I did when I studied this passage was I went back and studied the culture of the time and understood like what was actually historically happening. Because again, I had all kinds of views coming into this passage that this woman was wrong, that she was living in blatant sin. And and yeah, she was living in sin. But culturally at the time, what we know and what is shared in the text is that Jews didn't speak with Samaritans and especially not Samaritan women. Women were not in high regard in this cultural time of life. And, and so it was really rare not only for Jesus to engage with a Samaritan, not Jesus, but for Jews to engage with a Samaritan, let alone a Samaritan woman in the middle of the day for any and all people to see. And she even acknowledges this, right? As soon as she asks the question, she comes back and questions, why are you speaking with me? Like, what do you want from me kind of situation? Like she goes back with his question and offers another question. Like, who are you to ask me, the lowest of lows for a drink? And Jesus then answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, clearly she has no inclination as to who she's speaking to. She has no idea about what's to happen. But Jesus starts to share who he is. He starts to set the stage to recognize that he wants to change the story. Now, if we continue with the text, she says, Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? Again, she's continuously asking Jesus, like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What is this water that you're talking about? Like, she's starting to engage with it. And this is where things really start to heat up for me, because this is where what I thought I knew changed completely. And this is where the story gets really good. So in verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. This is him trying to show her need, trying to pinpoint that, hey, listen, I recognize you have a need. All humans have a need. And it's what's fulfilling and satisfying that need that is so different. And what he has to offer is something that will forever satisfy. You'll never get thirsty again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So he pinpoints that you have a need. And I think this is so important because I think we all know we have a need. 
We're desperate. We're thirsty. We're looking. And God in his goodness is showing us like, hey, I see the need. But here's the thing. Not everyone recognizes that they have a need, at least not a soul spiritual need that we all need to satisfy. Like we recognize that we're hungry and that we can't exist without food. We recognize we're thirsty, that we can't exist without the water. But the real point of this is that we also have a deep-seated need to belong, to be seen, to be loved, to be known. And if we continue to look for all of that in the world, we'll never be satisfied. We'll always be thirsty again. And he told her, okay, you want the water. Now go tell your husband and come back. And she said, I have no husband, she said, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And this is where I feel like, again, in our world, in our generation, we would look at that and think like, yeah, geez, she's a sinner. Five husbands? Like, that's a lot of husbands. <laughs> But if we go back to the context of the time and understanding and learning about the culture then, the women were the least of these. They did not have the opportunity to leave their husbands. They couldn't. They were bound in contract and covenant to their husbands. However, the men, on the other hand, had full rights to leave their husbands or to leave their wives. In fact, they they needed little reason to do so. Like they could, for anything, give reasonable doubt why they needed to leave their wives. Also have to recognize that at that time, being a widow was definitely more common. There was far more death and greater risk of living, especially as a man in that time, in that era. And so some of these men probably divorced her, but they also she could have also been a widow from time to time. Who We don't, we don't really know about these five men. But what we do know culturally at the time is she couldn't have, she could not have made the choice to leave them. If she had, she would have been stoned to death. In fact, we can see this in John 8 when he talks about the woman caught in adultery, right? If we go to John chapter 8, verse 3, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Now, historically speaking, at that time, a woman caught in adultery probably would have been stoned to death. And it continues in verse five, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they wanted to trap Jesus into the customary practice of saying like, this woman is an adulterer. She sinned against her husband. And our practice is let's just stone her to death. So knowing that and knowing the time, having a woman who have five husbands and still living, it would never have happened. Like that's not the context of the story. Jesus does not include that passage to call out her sin. Is she sinning? Yes. But the purpose of the passage was to show that he knew her. Regardless of what she's been through and the mess that she is, he wanted to show her, hey, I see you. I know you, and yet I'm still here talking with you because you matter to me. It's not him calling out her sin as much as it is getting to know her so he can understand her story and take away the shame that she must feel about her five husbands. 
He was pointing to her shame so that he could create a better story outside of that. And this is what I love so much from the passage and where we get so mixed up, right? Is we often just go sin, 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 sin. And yes, we need to repent of our sin, but we'll always continue to sin if we don't understand and deal with the shame that the sin created and the shame that perpetuates the sin that we continue to live in. Because what we know psychologically about shame is we try to hide it and we try to mask it. And it makes us do all sorts of crazy things that are not us because shame is not who we are, but it creates this negative story and this spiral that we live out of. It's like, again, why it perpetuates our sin because shame creates this gapping hole in our life that is so suffocating that we have to fill it with something so that we can continue to exist. We have to shove it and band-aid it and mask it. And we do this in all kinds of worldly things, which is why people lead back into sin. It's because that sin is fulfilling a need. Now, of course, we can't say like that gives sin a reason to stay or an excuse to persist. But I think it shows like, why we're so desperate for something, someone who can actually take away the shame and fill the gap in our lives, to fill the hole, to make us satisfied and to make us whole. That's why this is so important and why we can't neglect spirituality and faith and having a hope in something bigger than ourselves because us alone, we alone cannot fill that. And if we don't know how to turn to something that is living water, that's actually going to produce something healthy and good within us, we'll probably always continue to fall back into our sinful nature. Not because we don't know it, but because we can't see a way out. And a way out is exactly what God's giving her in this story. So if we go back to John 4, after he says, like, of course, you don't have a husband because you've had five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. It's just someone you're living with. And she says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Like if, if someone had said that to me today, right? I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so shameful. But it was almost like he must have said it and his tone of voice was not condemnation at all. Because if we go back to John 8, like God doesn't condemn us. He doesn't condemn us for our wrong. Like he says in John chapter eight with the woman who was actively caught in adultery, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there, not stoned. And Jesus straightened her up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now, leave your life of sin. He gave her a way out. And that's what he's doing with the woman at the well. He's changing the story. He's saying, I see you. I know your story. I'm not afraid of your mess but I'm here and I want to meet you so I can be your way out so that I can be the living water that you need so you never thirst again. And that changes the story to be less about you and your sin and more about God and his goodness. It takes us 
and the way that we try to mask ourselves so that we can be bigger than we actually are. And it just says, you're right. I am nothing without God. And it allows us to lay down our shame and our weakness at his feet so that we can be filled and forever free of it. So she goes on and she starts to recognize, like, I see you're a prophet. I see that you know me. And Jesus says, woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship at what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and truth. Again, he gives this whole theological lesson about worshiping him and seeing the truth and seeing something greater to come. And the woman said, I know that Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So again, she's still kind of like, I see that you're a prophet. I don't see that you're him. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. And At some point, I picture her with her jaw on the floor, like processing through what she just encountered and how big of a life switch this changed in an instant. And that's what I love so much about this is that we can work forever to try to change ourselves and make little to no progress because at the end of the day, we're all just working out of our old stories. We're working out of our shame and that's, getting us tangled in sin and it feels like we can't escape it because we are trying so much on our own rather than just surrendering to the one who can change us in an instant and the one who can fill us and completely reshape the story that we've believed. But we have to let him. So as he was saying and proclaiming, I am he, I am the Messiah, the disciples rejoined Jesus and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Like they were just kind of surprised and shocked by this behavior, but they didn't ask. And as she saw this, like as I'm sure this awkward encounter with the disciples now showing up continued, she just leaves her water jar so filled by what she learned that she went back into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of town and made their way to him. And later on in the verse, as you kind of skip down to verse 39, it says, like, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of this woman's testimony, because of the woman who was the least of these in that community, who had five husbands and was currently living with one she was not married to. She, in her testimony, changed an entire town because of the new story that she so fully took on as her own. And I think when we go back to this, there's so many points in this that we can't even begin to touch on. But I think the story one shows that Jesus has a heart for all people. And it doesn't matter how messy your story is. He wants to meet you in the mess. In fact, he'd rather meet you in the honest mess than in the masking, prideful life that we try to live to mask all the painful parts of us. But he sees it. He knows what you've been through. He sees the suffering that you've encountered. He sees the way in which the world has judged you, and yet he's there asking to be a part of the story, 
asking to rewrite the story because he knows the story that you're existing in is not the story he created for you. And if we don't let him change that, we will continue to live out of the story the world created, the words other people slung on you, the trauma that you've encountered, the things that you've believed that God never spoke over you. Like when we live out of that, we create our own misery. We create our own suffering. We intermingle into a world that can never fix us, living as broken people who are so scared and overwhelmed and anxious about where the world is going when we have a hope because we know how the story ends, which means we can kind of live in the open loop of now. And so God wants to meet all of us and he also wants to give us living water. He wants to create the satisfaction so deep in our life that we don't thirst, that we don't have a need to sin because he's given us everything that we need. He is giving us pleasure. He has given us peace. He has given us love and longing and belonging that we're all secretly looking for. He knows we have a void because he created the void so that we would become dependent on him. And number three, I think it also shows the importance of owning God's story and God's purpose and God's plan for our life over our own. (laughs) Because if we're really honest for most of us, the story that we believed, the story that we grew up in, the things that have been done to us have shaped us. What might have kept you alive as a child has potentially turned incredibly dysfunctional as an adult. And we start to live out of lies and 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 words, and we start to view God through the lens of other people instead of gu- viewing other people through the lens of God, and it really distorts our entire life, and it creates more misery than God intended for our life when He gave us a way out, and the way out is to see God for who He is and what He created you to be, then living the old story, the self-created story, and the story that keeps you stuck in a pit of shame and guilt and sin. I think also it shows that Jesus understands our need for hope and our need for purpose. This is really important in the health space because I think that we are so confused by what our hope and our purpose is that we start to cling to it in things like health, things that we really don't have ultimate control over, things that are going to go away. We know (laughs) it's a fact, 100% of people will die. And so clinging to something that in the end never ends the way that we want it to only makes this so much more difficult. It only creates more problems because your health then is always a problem. Instead of being a tool to live your life, when it's the focus of your life, it requires you to perfect it, to obsess about it. And, And that's no purpose to live for. And we can see that in so many people. But yet God has a purpose and a hope for us. And if we cling to that purpose and hope, it gives us a reason. It gives us a light. It gives us meaning. It gives us energy to continue living. And I think the last point that I want to make is what I love so much about this story is I think over and over that we see God say, come and meet someone. And we see how the Samaritan woman doesn't condemn people. And I think what I love so much about this story is how God meets her right where she's at. And then she goes on not to condemn the world of their sin, but to basically tell them like, hey, come and see for yourself. Come and see someone who knows all about you and yet still loves you. And that's really the power, right? It's the power of the story is saying like, I know I'm weak. I know I failed. 
I know I'm broken. It's not me trying to mask all of that. And, in, and if we don't have something to fulfill that, if we don't understand that we can be loved within that, we'll always probably fall back into sin in some ways to try and mask that. But when we recognize that it's in our brokenness and our dependence that we can rely on and need something that's greater than us, that we can really start to live it and recognize that in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our weakness, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our shortcomings, in the midst of the trauma that you've been through, God still loves you. In your mess, you are loved. In your weakness, you are loved. In your story, you are loved. And that can shape a generation and future generations to come because it takes away the need to perfect your life. It takes away the need to fixate on your life and it shifts that to living your God-given purpose. And that is so powerful. God knew she had a need. God knows you have a need. And he knows that if you don't fill that need with him, you're probably going to meet it with sin. But what we really need to understand and grasp is that eternal life, is that fulfillment that only God could give, that love and satisfaction that he brings, and that everlasting peace that allows you not to just escape hard things, but to walk through hard things knowing you are loved. It allows you to live fully in the midst of whatever is thrown your way because you know whose you are and what you are. And it changes the narrative about what you say about yourself and how you live that out. Like at the end of the day, we all have a thirst. We all have a need. We all have a longing. And what you try to fulfill that longing with is going to shape you. It's going to change you. It's what your life is going to be focused on. And if that's not living water, if that's not God, we're going to be looking and longing for forever. And as I was studying this, I was listening to some sermons and Pastor Robert Morrison from Gateway Church said in a sermon about the woman at the well, he said, what Jesus offers is not a feeling of satisfaction for a felt need. It's a genuine satisfaction for a real need. We all have a real need, a true longing that must be satisfied. And what you look to fulfill that need is either going to create the satisfaction or it's going to make you live in the unsatisfaction, always looking, always chasing, always longing. But what God offers you is something that allows you to just sit back, to take a breath, to know whose you are so that you can live out your God-given purpose. Now, I wanted to do this whole message again to show that God wants to change our story. He's not just here to condemn you of your sin, to tell you all the reasons that it's wrong, but he's here to show you that, hey, the reason I wanna call you out of sin is not because I'm some evil God. It's because I want to help you. And I know that this sin is hurting you. It's breaking you. Sin breaks us and that breaks God. And so he wanted to take it away so that we could experience everlasting peace, so that we could experience fulfillment here on this earth, so that we didn't just necessarily long for eternal life, but we created heaven on earth so that we could live our purpose here and live a satisfied, fulfilled, joy-filled life. And whether we're Christian or not, whether whatever religion we're chasing, I think at the end of the day, everyone is looking for that. Everyone is looking for something that will fulfill them and help them live. And too often we're not living because the things that we're trying to fill our life with are not satisfying. They're stealing our life rather than filling it. 
And I hope in this story that you recognize that God's not coming to you to condemn you or to guilt you or to shame you. Guilt and shame are not from God. That is the devil's way to distort what you think about God so you don't cling to him. But what I want you to know is God sees you. He knows what you've been through and he's there waiting for you in your mess to give it to him so that he can help you rewrite this story that someone distorted for you so that he can put truth back into it so that you can live out the design that he created for you so that you can create heaven here on earth and live that out for all of eternity. And there's something so beautiful about that. But more than anything, I think he's asking you, come and see for yourself. Don't take my word. Come to the table. Come to him. Ask him the hard questions, right? Like the woman at the well was brave enough to come back and say, who am I? Ask God the same thing. Be willing to ask the hard questions. He wants them and he can handle them. And then be open enough to come and see for yourself. Regardless of the hurt that you've been through, regardless of the trauma that you've experienced, regardless of what the church has done to you or what religion ha- how religion has shaped you, I think what we need to do is just come back and see for yourself. To not look at God through the lens of humanness, but to see God in all of his glory. And I think when we see God, we view the world in a different way. He knows you've been hurt. He knows what you've been through. And yet he loves you and he longs to hold you. He longs to fill you. And I just ask that you'll go and see. Because it's him that can change your story. When you change your story, you change your beliefs and you shift your mindset patterns and all of your biology. What feels so unsafe, so threatening in the place that shame and guilt gets us, that's so hard to escape, allows you to take a deep breath because you're filled. You no longer have to live out of the old story that leaves you protecting yourself, but you can live in the freedom, which is really the sense of safety to experience all that life has to offer. So when I come to the end of this, again, my hope and my passion and my inspiration for the living well was to help you see like, yeah, the well is deep. Your shame and your guilt, it's in there. The story that you've believed is not the story that you were created to live, but there is a story, the true story, the one God created in you. And if we live that out, Do you know how much more we could experience life? It's the act of living well is living out of the story God created in you. And that is what I want to do here at The Living Well. So yes, we talk a lot about the body, but I can't express enough that your soul matters more importantly than perhaps any of the others. So take some time to dig into this passage, to dig into who God said you are and the story he wrote for you. Ask him to bring up the places that you've believed about yourself that are not from him. I mean, I even go back to Moses, right? And like when Moses is, or when God's giving Moses his call, twice Moses tells God or tries to tell God why he can't do it because he has a stutter. You know, he says in Exodus 4, 10, Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow in speech and tongue. 
And then he later says it again. Like, it's not God telling him he has a stutter, which I think we so often like just say like, oh yeah, Moses had a stutter. Like he couldn't speak. So God gave him someone else to come speak on his behalf. But that's really not what it was. God never said Moses had trouble speaking. He called him to do this. But Moses couldn't get over the lies and the stories that he had believed about himself when God's return was like, I never said that to you. Like, The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Like God reminds him, I didn't say that. I didn't speak those words over you. You've spoken them over you. And now you've allowed that to direct and impact your life and the purpose that I've given you. And I think how often do we believe things about ourselves that God never spoke over us? In fact, it is so far from the reality of who God created you to be. And that's really what I want the living well to be. It's a place to help you come back and recognize your God-given purpose and to recognize who did God call you? What did he say about you? And if it's and if you're believing things that don't align with that, those things are only stopping you and hurting you. And we need to rip them from our lives and go back to who God said you are, and repeat that truth over our life. So with all that said, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more at thelivingwell.com. But I would encourage you, pray over this, dig into what, what things am I speaking over my life and what does God say about that? Who does God say I am? And just go back to him. Come and see for yourself. Now, Head on over to The Living Well because I'm going to share some more and also link up the blog post on the four lessons from the woman at the well. Again, one of the most popular blog posts here at The Living Well. I think you're going to like it, dig in, and also we're going to be diving into some of these soul posts a little bit more because it really is important. And this summer, we're going to dive into the identity that we've created and how that identity is shaping this mind-body connection that we have going on. We're going to try to pull it all together as I really walk you through the healing steps of getting yourself to see you in a new way, in the way that God created you to be. So stay tuned for that summer, for this, this summer. Um, but again, I hope this gave you a fresh perspective, a new encouragement to see like God just wants to see you. He, he knows you and he wants to be a part of your story. Now, will you let him? That's the question. Okay, that's it for today. I thank you so much for being here and I'll see you back here next week. Take some time to ponder this and I love you guys so much. Thanks for being here.